Well, good morning. Okay, some of you are awake. That's good. Most of you, maybe not yet. We'll let the coffee kick in. Um, I am Brent, the family pastor here at Birch Ridge. Uh, if this is your first time here, welcome. We have been going through a teaching series that Nate has, or Nate is our lead pastor. He's introduced us to through the book or letter of Ephesians. And today, we're going to wrap up that look with chapter 6. As I've said last week, I'll say again, uh, Nate has introduced and helped us understand that this letter is helping us learn the transformation that takes place in our heart uh, when we're following after Jesus. And then Paul encouraged us to live wise and live in love. Today, we're going to hear his concluding thoughts besides his kind of his wrap up after that, which is kind of like say hello to blah, blah, blah. Uh, right before that, he's got these concluding words that we want to look at today. So we're going to jump in and look at that. When I was preparing today's message, I was reading the scripture and just thinking through what this means for us. And I realized that there's, there's, this message is for all of us, but it especially hits those of us who may feel like we're going through a spiritual battle, um, maybe that it's real, either around us in the circumstances or maybe inside of us. And so today this message is for those of us who are feeling weak, wounded, in need of help, and if you don't feel that way, it's still a spiritual kick in the pants, this passage is. So it's, it's going to prepare us and, and encourage us today. There's three things Paul is going to give us about the battle that we're in as followers of Jesus. And these three things can encourage us. They're reminders for us, but they're also going to help us as we look at them and start to unpack them as well. We're going to look at Ephesians 6. 10 verses is all we're looking at today, and it's 6, 10 through 20, verses 10 through 20. I'm going to read in the New International Version. That's what's up on the screen as well, and this is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, 
as I should. I heard a story here just a few days ago, and I want to share it with you. It really connects with what Paul is talking about. He was called in to deliver pallets of goods. His name, Greg Kirby. He was just a young pup, and he was brought into the military to serve in the Vietnam War against an enemy that was rarely seen, my dad. He served as a crew chief on a helicopter, and that was his main job, was helicopter prep and repair. But he also, he also helped the medics with the wounded as people came in onto the, onto the helicopter. The mission he had this day was very similar to others he'd been assigned. Deliver the goods. Pretty basic. At least, it was basic until a single shot changed everything. While they were flying over the vast jungle in which the enemy hid, a bullet went through the helicopter and into what the boys called the, quote, sass box. It was a device that controlled the rotors on the helicopter. Things got hairy really quick as the pilot struggled to keep control and find a place to land. They landed down into the jungle, the very woods where the enemy hid, an enemy whose main tactics were traps. Upon landing, the team called in reinforcements. Then there was the silent wait. Finally, choppers arrived, and they removed the team, leaving only two men to guard the downed chopper an electrician, and my dad. And my dad's main job was to man the main gun on the helicopter to protect it from the enemy who was trying to get in. In my dad's own words, very succinctly, he said more words than this, but I was terrified. But my dad did it. The thing is, though, it wasn't the main gun that protected the helicopter it was something else. You see, all around that area, the U.S. had called in heavily armored gunships who were engaging the enemy as they tried to approach the downed chopper, and they, were to, and they would take them out. Finally, a large helicopter called the Green Giant. This thing is huge, evidently. It returned by itself, and they lowered down the cables, and they wrapped what they call a diaper underneath this, this helicopter, and after they hooked it up, they flew back to base safely. The Vietnam War was a tough one because the enemy was hidden in the dark, darkness of the jungle, but also the boys that served returned alienated because of the underlying politics. So it was a difficult, difficult war that they served in. This war, though, really helps us understand the theme that Paul is going to start out with in this, in this reading that we just did. Paul, in chapter 5 and the first part of chapter 6 of Ephesians, in his letter to this church in Ephesus, has, he's already spelled out to them one main theme, and that is submission. He talks about submission of husbands and wives, submitting ourselves to leaders, 
children submitting themselves in obedience to their parents, masters, and slaves. They talk about all of that. But then in this place where we just read, in verse 10, there's like this sudden shift that happens, and he's saying, there's something that you are not to be submissive to. In this in this passage, too, you're going to hear one overarching theme as we look at it today. And that theme is a call that we all have as followers of Jesus to stand strong. We are to stand strong. And you're going to hear it throughout this, this passage. Last week in chapter 2 of Ephesians, we looked at three things that we have when we're together with Christ. One of those is very difficult. It's we are raised, which means we are strengthened. And I, th- I believe Paul knows as humans, it's hard for us. It's hard for us to be strong spiritually. And so here in this last words, he's going to unpack what that really means because he knows we need, to, we need it. We need spiritual strength. So he starts out in verse 10. We're going to take it verse by verse. And he starts out this last section with a a single phrase in Greek, and it's finally, is how it's translated in NIV. But the thing about this phrase doesn't mean, it just doesn't mean, and last of all, I have these words to tell you. This is actually a really unique phrase in Greek, and you don't see it a whole lot in the Bible. This phrase also means from here on. In other words, what I'm about to tell you, you're to put it into practice and put it into practice continually for the rest of your life. And then he goes on here in this verse and he's going to explain our first point of how to stand strong. Our first point is this. We stand strong by God's power. Be strong in the Lord, he says, and in his mighty power. It's by God's power that we have strength, not by yours, not by mine. Spiritually speaking, it comes from God. Remember that we are saved by grace, a gift of God. It's not our own grit. It's God helping us. And we know that that power comes, the foundation, through Jesus the gift of Jesus to us. That's the very foundation. Now he goes on in verse 11. Look with me here. He says, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That word put on here means like clothing. So son, put on your clothes today. And he did, right? This is my my son up here. So he put on his clothes, he got ready, and, he, and then he was ready for the day. And Paul is calling us to do the same. Put on the full armor of God. Now the thing is, he's about to, ex- to help you understand how this power is from God. We're going to look at a little verse in the Old Testament, thousands of years ago. I didn't even know this existed. And it's Isaiah 59, 17. He put on righteousness as his breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. This passage from long ago is about God 
he putting on armor, and he's doing it to rescue Israel because they needed help. They needed protection. They needed rescue. And so we're seeing this very armor of God being used of God. Paul is saying here, this isn't just like armor that I'm going to give you. It's not like armor of God, like it's here, here you go. This is God's very own armor that we have access to. The armor that he uses, we have access to as well. So you understand how this is, we are standing strong, not by our own strength, but by God's power. Now, after this, Paul is going to list why we are to stand strong, and that is Satan. Satan. Satan isn't a fair fighter, I'll tell you. Um, he uses tricks, he uses traps, and he attempts to get us to fall in our walk with God. And in verse 12, this next verse, Paul's going to break down what our battle, our struggle is actually against. He says, it's not against flesh and blood, that is, not against humans. You're not at war, everybody here, with your boss. You're not at war with your coworkers or that one family member who gets under the nails of your skin. You're not at war with Trump or the other guy, Biden. Okay? We can get wrapped up in that stuff, but that is not who we are actually at war with. He says, your war is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What we're talking about is the unseen realm. It's real, and it exists. And there's a multitude of hosts that are against us in this battle. These unseen demons use philosophies and beliefs as their main attack against us in this world. Traps, tricks, snares that they put out to lead us away, to lead our family away. Now, our second way to stay strong is listed next. We stand strong, and we're going to unpack, Paul unpacks this one a lot. We stand strong in God's protection. God's protection is found in training with his armor. When used, God's armor is considered a set of spiritual weapons. 2 Corinthians Chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul is talking to the church of Corinth, and he says these words. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In verse 13, Paul is now again going to command us to put on the full armor of God. He says, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Now the Greek word here, put on, in verse 13 is actually different from verse 11. And it means to take up, to use, to, to train with. 
It's a Greek word that's used in the military for an emergency situation when the battle is already at hand and the enemy is starting to surround you. It's a warning cry Paul is giving us, basically. And he's saying, train with this armor. Use it. My dad, I was talking to him about this, this, this sermon, and he said, just make sure that everybody knows to use God's armor. It's the most important thing. Okay, and Paul is saying that here. But then he goes on, and he says, when the day of evil comes, evil here is temptation, the, temp the temptations that come our way, but the translation is also hardships, bad circumstances that can tempt us to spiritually fall. You think about James chapter 1, and that's the same type of thought here, that the trials are going to come. Are we trained? Are we ready for those to come in our life? Now, in the next four verses, Paul's going to tell us what the armor of God is. And this is fun. A lot of us in the church who grew up in the church know this. Um, but first, we know that this letter was written by Paul, right? But did you know he was in prison? Some of you knew that. He was actually in chains. He mentions being in chains at the end of these 10 verses. He literally was in chains and likely guarded by a Roman soldier. And so here he is looking at this Roman soldier and looking at the pieces of armor. Today, I've asked a Roman soldier to join us. He's our guest, so please be kind to him. I'm gonna ask Josiah. Josiah, would you come on up, buddy? Here he comes. He's decked out for battle. So a local artist, uh, Josiah's mom, has made this armor just for today for us to be able to see um, what it looks like. Um, and this armor was needed to protect against arrows and, and swords, right? They didn't have guns, so we didn't have to worry about, about that. But um, they did have swords, very sharp, obviously, as his is here. Um, and they did have arrows. So you see the pieces of armor that he has on. Thanks for coming, by the way. I know you're busy. So um, I'm not going to do it necessarily in the order that that's listed here, but we see his belt, and that ties the breastplate together and uh, probably holds up everything, okay? And we've got his shield, right? Large shield covered in leather, similar to the Romans. The Romans' shield was very large and usually covered in leather as well, and I'll tell you why in a, in a little bit. Uh, we've got the helmet, okay? And then we have his sword. This looks like, this is a serious sword here. You said it was a Spanish sword before? Oh, okay. So not quite Roman, but it's close. Almost, almost. It does have the double blade, as the Romans had as well. Double, double not blade, double-edged, okay? Then we have his shoes, there as well. Okay. It's awesome, man. I'll let you go. Go, go back to guarding Paul or, or whatever you're doing. If you give him a hand for coming up here. <laughs> We're going to go on to verse 14. Uh, um, uh, it, says, it says, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, as we look at these, we have to realize he's using, Paul is using these pieces of armor 
to talk about things that are spiritual. So we have to understand and ask those questions. How is this related to this piece of armor, what he's talking about? And as we look at that and answer those questions, it's going to help us understand God's protection that we have. Our first piece is the belt. And as you saw, it holds up, it holds up the leggings and also attaches the breastplate. The belt is a support for the soldier. Without it, the leggings would fall down, bringing him shame and causing him to trip and fall. Now think about it. The same way, how is truth like a belt? Without it, simply, we fall. Think about how the small lies you've told in your life and when they're found out, it brings you shame. Never mind the big ones. You feel ashamed from it. Um, similar to things falling down. And think about how you tell so many, you learn, you learn as a kid, you tell so many lies, then all of a sudden you get tripped up because you think, what did I say? I can't remember what exactly I said and what's true and what's not. And so we think about how lies can trip us up, and even lawyers use this as a tactic, right, to catch people in their lies, to trip them up. When we are trained in God's truth, we are not persuaded by the lies of the enemy and the philosophies that don't line up with the Bible. They have no power over us. We know what is real, and then we know what is false, and we're equipped to choose what is good over what is evil. Now, if I want to know what a counterfeit bill is, okay, am I going to study all of the counterfeit bills that are out there? No. I'm going to study the real deal. And that's what, that's what they actually do, the banks. That's what they do. They study the real one. And then when a fake one comes along, they know automatically. Study what is truth. And when the falsehoods come along, you will know it right away. Our second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covers the chest. And contained in the chest are two things very vital. The lungs and the heart. The breastplate covers and protects those areas. Satan would like nothing more than to stab at your heart and retake the very breath that's given to you. Spiritually speaking, he would love for your heart to be placed elsewhere, away from God and on the things this world offers. He would like to steal your breath by tricking you back to giving up your faith and exhausting yourself and trying to work your way into heaven. But remember, we are made right not by what we do. We are made right by what God does. It's grace and it's a gift of God or else we'll boast. It's not about boasting. Verse 15, the third piece of armor that protects us is our boots. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The boots of the Roman army you saw them up here, maybe, if you could see them, maybe the chairs were in the way. They were considered a technological advancement for their time. They were made with a sturdy, soft leather, and, unlike other armies, they were studded on the bottom. 
Soft leather, le leather gave them support to stand strong against the enemy. The, the studs on the bottom allowed them to move quickly, gave them strength in standing firm, but it allowed them to move so fast that the Roman army was known to come overnight marching into a city, and the city was unaware that they were there. Think about this when it comes to our spiritual life and peace. How does peace help us stand firm? Well, think about it. If you don't have peace in your life, you're left with a few things. Worry, doubt, fear, anxiety. We feel at ease like we have to do something or be something. So we find ourselves going over here, and I'm super busy, and then, and then we go over here, and I'm super busy, and oh, I got a rock in my foot. <laughs> got to get that out. And we're constantly moving. Spiritually, we get that way, and we feel in turmoil. And God is saying, maybe you need more peace in your life, that sturdy foundation on which to stand. He says in, in the Old Testament, be still and know that I am God. That's not being still, running around. The boots here also, though, give us one other idea. And that's the idea of how we are to battle. If I think of a war, I think of, like, my dad, like, out there, man in the gun, taking enemy out, you know, that type of thing, or, you know, slicing people down, and the violence, and all of that but they're the boots, the shoes of peace. And we are called to bring peace to the people in this world. We're called to bring life and light to them, to help them who are in darkness. That's the kind of war we do. It's the opposite of what you think of. It's bringing life to others. Now, the shield of faith is the fourth piece of armor. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Roman soldier's shield, going back to Josiah, was very large, possibly larger than Josiah's, and coated usually in leather. The size protected against the arrows, and the leather actually helped put out the flame that was usually on the arrows. Soldiers would line up next to each other, protecting each other as they advanced. The front line would be pushed, kind of like from the back. Okay, the front line's got the shields, and the back buddies are like, go, 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 pushing them forward, okay? And then if somebody fell on the front line, they could be quickly replaced by somebody else, and the wounded and the fallen could then be potentially ushered out to receive help. How does the shield of faith, the faith, how does it shield us? Hebrews 11, 1, defines faith as this. It is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What guards us against the arrows of the evil one, you see, is hope. It's our belief, our hope that God exists, that he loves you and I. He, he, he interacts with us that Jesus was sent for us, that he rose from the grave. It's hope, confidence that heaven is real, 
and that we are free. Without these hopes, we're struck to the ground by the arrows of shame, sorrow, guilt, and then we're set aflame by the pitch voiced from hell. When our faith is combined together, though, think about it. We become powerful against the enemy. You don't have to be alone in your faith like I was years ago. I kept saying to myself, I could do this. I can overcome this temptation. I can do it on my own. Nobody needs to know. And we may be saying that, but many temptations that come our way need the help of other people for us to move outside of ourselves and seek help from others because together we are strong. The helmet of salvation makes the fifth piece. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet. Poor soldiers, it was made out of leather, and rich soldiers, it was made out of bronze. It serves to protect the head from the blows of the, uh, and the wounds. Blows and wounds, you know if you're a doctor or a nurse, they can, to a head can cripple somebody pretty quick, causing loss of balance, loss of orientation, and a loss of life. Salvation, our salvation in the same way, protects our mind. Without it, we can lose our balance, forgetting who we are in Christ. We might even pass out, laying, lying prone on the ground, ready to be stabbed by the enemy. Remember where you've come from and what God has done for you. It is by grace you are saved. Jesus has already done the work, everybody. You're free. You're a child of the king. The call is to raise your head high and fight. Go forward. The sixth piece of armor is the sword of the spirit. The Romans were unique. Other armies had a single-edged sword. The Romans were one of the first to have a double-edged short sword. It was, it was known throughout the land, um, instead of the redcoats are coming, it was, the short swords are coming! Here they come. God's word is similar to a sword. Hebrews 4.12 unpacks this a little bit for us. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word stops the enemy in his tracks and puts him on the defensive. There's logic to this, to God's word. There is truth. You think about the people you talk to who are all over the place, tossed about by every wind and wave that comes along, every doctrine that comes along. God's word is there and it cuts right straight through the flab that people are spouting out and goes straight to the core. There is a very well-known samurai thinking about what Paul is asking us with the sword. His name is Mayimoto Musashi. Sorry, I had to say it that way. It just sounds really cool. Okay? And he writes about the sword. He's, he defeated many, many, many samurai in a time where it was sword versus sword. That's pretty impressive. And he said, train so much 
that the sword becomes an extension of who you are. Military, in the same way, are trained with their firearm, and they have to pass a test. And the test is they have to take apart or dissemble their firearm and reassemble it. Sounds pretty easy, but they have to do it blindfolded. We are to know God's word so well that we can use it in that way that it becomes an extension of who we are. Do we own the Bible that much? Enough that in our natural conversation with somebody, it comes out. What if it was a part of who you are so much that you could put it into your own words in a conversation and others wouldn't even know that you're using the Bible? That is what we're talking about here in taking up the sword. Now these last, these last verses here, 18 through 20, um, we're gonna see move from God's protection onto the final way to stand strong. And that is we stand strong in prayer. And pray in the spirit, Paul says, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, he says, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Now, if there was a seventh piece of equipment, it would be the radio, okay? There's a man named Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, and he writes in a book called On Spiritual Combat. Great book. He was a vet who was in charge of anti-terrorism um, after 9-11. And he writes about the radio and its importance. He says it was used to call in supplies, call in reinforcements, and yes, bomb strikes. The idea here is that prayer is very similar in that it keeps us in communication with our high supreme commander. It's his job as the commander to track the enemy, to know the enemy's tactics and strategies. It's our job to follow his lead. But prayer here, in, according to Paul, is more than just a piece of equipment. That's why I didn't list it as the seventh. Prayer, the word that he's using, is a verb. It's an action. It's what the warrior does. We are to pray for each other, and Paul says he even asked for prayer for himself. So in other words, we're to pray for our leaders. Pray for me. I need it. Pray for Pastor Nate. Pray for our families. What does Paul ask for prayer for at the end? That he can be fearless. He's asking for the same thing he's just encouraged us in this passage. To stand firm, to be bold, to be filled with courage so he can preach the gospel, so he can tell others about Jesus. Jesus. 